Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality, and I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Today on the podcast, Steve Harris. Steve runs the unscripted side of Marlon Wayne's company, Workaholics Entertainment, and they've created and produced the show's Funniest Wins, and I Can Do That, and they've got a lot more in the works. Steve came up the ranks as a producer and then a network executive at TLC and A&E, where he was instrumental in getting MC Hammer, Shaquille O'Neal, and the Jackson family on the air. He has some great stories about how he made it, or actually almost made it to L.A. his first time. And his biggest regret is by far the best I've heard on this podcast. Hello, Elisa. Hello, darling. So we met um, when you were at A&E, which was like, I was thinking about eight or nine years ago, right? What uh, year did you start there? It's all a blur. <laughs> you, you blocked it out. <laughs> it's all a blur. I think it was, I think it was probably like 2004, 2005. Okay. So yeah. I'm tempted to say 2006 because it was such a blur between like, okay, so I was at, I started my first network job was TLC. Right. Okay. So when I started at TLC, it was um, it was the David Abraham days was when I started. Who and, I don't never even heard of. That's, <laughs> really? That's how far back that goes. Yeah. Is that when Banyan was doing all the TLC yes, shows? So that's yes. how you fell into the Banyan thing. Well, no, I was oh. at Banyan before that. Oh. So I'm, I'm not sure like when you say I met you when you were at a and I'm not sure if we actually met when I was down in Philly at Banyan. I was at Banyan from 2002 to 2004, I think. So you were there when they did um, Design Invasion? I launched that pilot, and then I left. No. Yeah, yeah. That And then you came. So yeah. I'm, I don't think I interviewed, because I was interviewing the producers for that show. Uh, I interviewed with Andrew Shear okay. and- uh, Andrew and, was my boss. Yeah. That's so funny. So we literally were like two ships yes. passing in the night. That was my first, that's, that was my first Spanian gig. That's, and so you, what, did you have a connection to Philly already, or no? Uh, not at the time. I mean, my daughter eventually went to UPenn afterwards. Right, but, yeah. right. I knew there was something. Some, <laughs> so that was just, hey, I'm freelancing and I'm going to... Well, Banyan used to always list in the newspaper. Oh, uh, newspaper. Newspaper? <laughs> what? What's that? <laughs> the job posting in the yeah. newspaper about how they were such a a uh, blossoming production company with all these sh- big shows going on. But they always had like, it was like a disclaimer, paying Philly wa- rates. I was like, what the heck is Philly rates? That's funny. Yeah, well, you found out. (laughs) We all found out. We pay you in cheese sticks. (laughs) Yeah, but they did come around. I think they realized to be competitive and get people from New York and other places, they were going to have to be competitive, right? Um, Yeah, I made made up for the extra couple hundred bucks because I had my own camera gear. So Cosmo was the production manager, and I used to get an extra couple hundred bucks for my... Co- I didn't know Cosmo worked. Is that how I know Cosmo? That's why I met Cosmo. Cosmo de Yeah, that's the first place I met Cosmo. I didn't realize. I forgot that's how yeah. I knew. I know. I thought I knew him from later on. Okay, yeah. that's so. And God, then, small and world. then when they, um, I did like two or three episodes there, and then Andrew like took us all into a meeting. He's like. Look, we've been filming in this whole Philly, Jersey little pocket, right. and we want to expand. So we've set it up where some of the crew can go to Dallas and work. So if you go to Dallas, you know, you'll get your hotel and, right. and that. And by, when I, once I did that, then I was breaking Sold. even because otherwise I was actually paying rent to be there in Philly. Right, right. It's like um, you pay paying rent. the nanny to work when yeah. <laughs> you, know, you might as well just stay home with yeah, the kid. Paying rent to an apartment that you were in for four hours a day because right. you're working 18 to 20 hours. Shooting, yeah, yeah, that show was crazy. Yeah. Oh, so is that where you met? Did you Rantamaki too? Was he? Yes. Or he yes. left by that point. No, no. He was I doing ambush him. makeover. Yes, he was right? doing ambush makeover. Yeah, I met those him. were fun days. Yes. That kind of TV it just doesn't exist. I mean, you know, before I did that show, I was doing TLC's um, Dating Story, mm. and it was eighty-five episodes. Like, can you imagine eighty-five episodes of anything now? Well, that's what that's what uh, Design Invasion <laughs> yeah. was. Eighty-five episodes. Right. It was syndicated. I was, crank- I was cranking those things out. Yeah, it was Fox syndication. Right? Yeah craziness but that's such good isn't that great sort of boots on the ground training completely it was they just threw you in the deep end yeah so before okay so let's go back so you so you started so before TLC were you you were directing and producing right 
mean before being a network executive? Yes. Yes. I was in the field. I started out as a shooter, producer. Yeah, bat, my first show was Date Patrol. No, it was Perfect Partner. Is that a TLC show? It was a TLC show. <laughs> Sounds like a TLC show. <laughs> my first show was Perfect Partner. And on Perfect Partner, they called us associate producers, but you literally had to get on the phone, book, screen and book, actually advertise for the talent, screen and book the talent, wow. put together casting sheets of the talent. And then once it was approved, then they flew us out to the city because they had like, there were pods that were set up. So they, they, they moved around eight different pods, or either four different pods, and every time. So while we were working in one city, there were three other cities getting pre-produced, right? And then we'd come back and do our string outs while they went out. So it was just wow. But again, really good training. I mean, they can you imagine? You AP, but you were like right. You were everything. <laughs> you were everything. Like, basically, you're on camera too. Right? And then when you and then when you shot, you actually filmed. You did everything except your when you got to the city. You were able to hire a um, a PA, and the PA held your boom, <laughs> signed releases <laughs> like. That's it. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And so then, how did you end up going to TLC? Wow, funny story. I don't I haven't told this story much. Um, my entrance to TLC was uh, was Sue Norton. So I was doing a show for Discovery Home called Double Vision, and it was. Because of the whole Banyan boot camp, I knew how to make these design shows. So um, I was doing a show for for Discovery Home called Double Vision. It was with identical twins <laughs> <laughs> decorating identical spaces at the same time. So the reveal was to the twins. Oh my they God. had like three days to decorate. It wasn't about the homeowner, but they worked with the homeowner, but... It was them walking into each other's spaces afterwards and seeing what they did different to the same exact space. Whoa, so it'd be apartments. High on, concept. So it'd be like apartments <laughs> on top of each other yeah. or houses that were across the street or just identical spaces. Is it the same and, twins every time? Yeah, it was a it was right. a pair they were they were there was an article about them in the New York Times and okay. that's how they found them. Wow. And um my showrunner and the other person who was supposed to direct with me. They both got pregnant at the same time. So on the first set, we've, I remember it was, it was in Harlem, and it was like two days before Thanksgiving or the eve of Thanksgiving, and we had been working nonstop, painting and you know, right. redoing, this, redoing this kitchen. And um, we're standing outside drinking water. It's like 1130 at night, about to turn Thanksgiving, and we're about to do the reveal. And um, the showrunner says, Oh my God, I'm so happy you guys have this under control because um, I'm pregnant and I'm not going to be able to be on the set. And the director looks at her and she goes, Oh my God, I'm pregnant too. <laughs> and I look at the two of them like, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, not pregnant. No. <laughs> so, therefore, wow. I mean, you have kids. Yeah. I have kids too, but I've never been pregnant. But you, <laughs> you can't, a woman can't be on set no. with paint fumes and all those toxins. No. So, okay. I was literally on set for the entire, oh I directed and produced the entire season. And because I was the only person on set and then coming back and post, I carried the show. So, coming back and post and having to do that, mm-hmm. I was the liaison. I had, to, I had to communicate. That was my first chance of actually communicating directly with the network. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> so it ended up being a good and, thing. Uh, and Sue and I bonded, and she would she would refer me to other network execs that needed work, or she would hire me for her shows. Mm-hmm. And then one time when I reached out to her, asking her, you know, just like stay, stay in communication. Yeah. And uh, she's like, well, we have nothing. I have nothing going on now. It's a little slow, but there's a job here at TLC. I was like, huh? What? She's uh-huh. like, look, just send your resume in. Um, go on the website, too. <laughs> right gotta go to that portal <laughs> go to the portal everything's side, about the portal side into the portal but go yeah. on the website and uh, <laughs> I'm gonna give Debbie Myers a call and uh, forwarded my resume and within five or six days I was I was down in D.C. doing my interview and then like hired within like two or three weeks interesting so was that a shock to your system was it very different going from one side to the other it was extremely different had no idea what it would be like. I mean, you being being a producer in the field and shooting and show running and putting together pilots, 
but actually being there on the on the other side, learning what it was that how they how they viewed what we were turning in or what we were saying to them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a whole other language. It was right. like the language inside the ta- the White Tower and the language of everybody running around the circle of the White Tower trying to get in. Yeah, I think that's probably a good way to describe it. <laughs> so what was the biggest lesson that you learned going then to the network side that you wish you had known as a producer? Um, no, I don't wish I had known anything as a producer. It was fine being naive. And, <laughs> Better that way. Because <laughs> if I had known, if I had known. <laughs> you would have quit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If you knew what point. it takes to sell a <laughs> yeah. show or a right. Just kill what, yourself. Because when you're, when you're a producer and, okay, so like say you're the, yeah, when you're a producer and you go interview for a job and they hire you or they say you're hired and then they're like, we're we're going to start in two weeks, and two weeks turns into six weeks. Right, you have no idea like what's going. <laughs> right, <laughs> why it's or, taking so or long? Or when they say two weeks and you start in two days, yeah, <laughs> you exactly. have no idea the poly- you, right. you don't know. Right, you have no idea. So, did you find yourself liking it better? Like, because you went from TLC to A and E, and you stayed on the network side a while. Uh yeah, like five and a half years, six years in total, something like that. And so, what took you to, then to A and E? Um. <laughs> TLC had a staffing shift. Okay. And All right, you were fired. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> love you, Brant. <laughs> oh, boy. No, seriously, dude. Nothing but love for you. Nothing. <laughs> Angela and Brant came in. Did you listen to his podcast? Of course. Listen to all your podcasts. Yeah, okay. But, he and, told and, a you funny know, story about, and, about that. And I was very impressed by his podcast. For yeah. his For his... But, you know, I didn't blame him or anything yeah, at the time. Yeah, it was yeah. just the whole politics right, that was going on. Right. Um, I think he used the word politics and, as well. And for him to, I mean, you you kind of have like a little confessional therapy session in here. <laughs> I feel very safe space. Yes. <laughs> safe space. For him to for him to divulge that, I, I and I've worked with Brant since then. Like we've seen yeah. each other at um, we've seen each other at real screens. Yeah. Uh, but. But I think we bonded most when we produced Funniest Wins together. Oh, I didn't realize you guys did that together. Yeah, he was at uh, he was at oh, Three Ball. Oh, great! That's, that's what that's all. You people say the same thing. The industry is so, so small. small. And like, I always can't say, just deal, I, I, you know. I, I, I talked. I was um, skyped into this group of college kids to, uh, in Chicago this morning, um, and and that and my the reason it happened is because my roommate from graduate school. You know, we keep in touch on Facebook, and uh-huh. she knew about the CBS show I did and wanted me to talk to them. And so they said, what's the biggest lesson, you know, or what's the thing you can tell them, the most important thing now? I said, two things. One is if you don't love it, get out now because <laughs> it's just, you know, you're not going to make a ton of money. It's not, you know, you just have to really, really want to do it. I said, secondly, be nice to everybody because this is a small business, mm-hmm. and sure. you are going to – run into people you never thought you'd see again and the people that you're rude to are going to get you fired on your next job. <laughs> like, you just have to be professional and cordial to yeah, everybody. Yeah, and completely. you're so right about that. Completely. And also that things are made, like, whatever the restructuring was at TLC, uh-huh. like, it's not personal. No, not at all. You know? I mean, literally, when I, when I say it wasn't personal, out of the staff of 80 people, they kept eight people. Wow. Okay. So like they, <laughs> it was it was a bloodbath. It was a bloodbath. <laughs> it, yeah. it was the letting. Yes. Yeah. They, wow. They literally <laughs> kept like one or two people from every department. Like yeah. Right. VP or SVP of each department that they wanted to keep on like Noah's Ark to train <laughs> two the by new, two. <laughs> to train the new staff as they hired on. So then A and E, um, you started as a director there, and mm-hmm. you got to and. And you did some really interesting projects. It seems like you finally got black people on A and E. Is that an accurate assessment? <laughs> uh, um, it's funny of putting it that way. I don't. I don't really f- look at it that way. I look at it more that I was the voice in the room that actually raised my hand and presented other options. Um, you know, the Shaquille O'Neal project, the Russell Simmons project, Hammer Time, the Jacksons. All those projects were projects that represented icons. It was less a thing about the color of their skin and more of the impact that they had on society. Yeah, true. Uh, and also that they transcended the business that they 
were known in, that they were just world-known global, global entities uh, that were worthy of having a TV show or docu-soap produced for them. So I, I feel that some of those shows would have come up eventually anyway. Just me being there helped to um, propel it forward a little bit quicker. I, I mean, Amy's a, is a, it's a, that network and all networks are, are really, really cognizant of how do they tap into other cultures. Um, and with a diverse, with a more diverse staff, it just helps to bring that forward a little bit quicker. And by more diverse, you mean you. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had Lily Dillmeyer there, right. too. Yeah, Right, the Latina voice. Yes. That's true. So was Hammer Time a, uh, a passion project? Like, did, was that, how did that come about, that show? I used to direct music videos. Right. Uh, so when I started at A&E, that was my first project I pitched within my within two weeks of being there. I mean, someone in the room pitched Dolly Parton. Somebody else pitched David Cassidy. And I was like, uh, what about MC Hammer? And uh, Rob Sheehan, I was like, that's brilliant. Yeah. And so you then farmed it out to a production company? Um, yeah. So uh, then my... My uh, my other colleague Scott Lonker, who used to be an agent, he helped set up meetings with like three or four production companies, and we ended up going with uh, with Three Ball. Nice. <laughs> okay. So that show, I remember that show because he had been he lost all his money. Well, right. te- technically, no. When oh, people, okay. when you have like when you amass twenty, thirty, fifty million bucks, right. and when you like sign bankruptcy like you sell stuff but you still keep money like you're okay. not like so he wasn't you're not like homeless on the street no. right <laughs> like right. you have money which is just not right and like so, mike tyson being broke but mike's yeah. got money mike's fine. <laughs> don't worry about mike yeah. right and so then you also like i feel like the family docu thing was definitely your thing because i remember even meeting with you at the time and you had the wish list i remember talking to you about you wanted the Olsen twins, and there were there were a bunch of people, and I know the Jacksons were on that wish list, which yes. you also made happen, which was quite the feat, right? So I think that would be interesting to uh, talk about. Yes, we were working with. Well, I had flown. I remember flying out to uh, Vegas for this meeting with Papa Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Papa Joe, and uh, the show first started out to be following Papa Joe around, and, oh. he, and he would be our entrance into the family. What was that meeting like? Papa Joe travels with a very eclectic group. I bet. Now, was he a tough dude to talk to? Um, he's very old school. Yeah, he's extremely, extremely old school. And was not he... tough. Just you, okay. you respect him. You like, right? <laughs> I mean, anybody who I mean, he, his family, and that's one thing I that that I connected with him. I think because of my relationship with Marlon and the Wayne's family of knowing of what it takes for what it takes for a family to come from what would be extreme poverty to iconic level to raise not a person to be iconic level, but your entire family to be iconic, basically royalty status. Yeah. Uh, It's just, yeah. It is. It's incredible. I mean, you know, it's when, incredible. When you, feat. when you, I, I remember on the shoot going to their house, and um, I mean, this the house is probably about the size of the studio. <laughs> it's like, it's like no joke. It was like what? a, it's like a two bedroom house, three bedroom house. Oh my god, eight hundred square feet. The whole entire Jackson clan lived in there, performing what? in the living room. Yeah, that's insane. Just like Marlon, this whole family lived in a two bedroom apartment in the projects, in Chelsea, Chelsea projects. Wow, most expensive property in Manhattan right now. Right, right, right. <laughs> they had only hung on to it. Wow. So, w- did it take a lot of convincing once you had that first meeting to get them to do it? Um, no, it wasn't. So there was the there was the meeting with Joe, um, the phone call from Jermaine, and the cryptic call from Michael. <gasps> okay. <laughs> I have never heard that story. Pray tell. Uh, who was pretty much the deciding factor of Joe said, this is the show. And then it was like, um, Jermaine calls me on my phone at work. And he says, "I, you know, you met with my father. And I, I had no idea. Like, I didn't. He just, Jermaine tracked me down. Yeah. You met with my father. Uh, I know you're doing the show, but if you have the cameras with him, 
we'll be around, but we're not going to be on camera and you can't use that footage. Like, he could do his show, but we're not going to be on that show. Oh, God. And then I get the cryptic cell phone call from MJ, and it's like, I'm not going to be on either show. So, you know, whoever is saying whatever they're saying, and I, I ended up going with Jermaine. Wow. So would that call from Michael just blow your mind? I mean, did you know it was coming? <clears throat> no, I didn't. No, I didn't know Jermaine was calling. <laughs> like, you never know. You know, you know. Right. I had no idea. And I, and, and it was so euphoric at the moment. Like, the first, right, right. I don't know, it felt like, it felt like an hour, but it was probably only 30, <laughs> 30 seconds, seconds of ways. What, how, who is this? Right. <laughs> like, who am I talking Mom! to now? Why am I with cell phone? Right. Yeah. That is incredible. So I'm imagining within A&E, they're freaking out that you're putting this all together and making this happen, right? This is a huge deal. Um, no. Really? <laughs> no. So what would have been the big deal if it was Michael's show? Not that Oh, was... no. It was, so we did, it started out only as a pilot. Okay. So it started out as a pilot and literally as that pilot was happening, um, Hammer had Hammer was being done. Hammer was getting released. We had three other shows in the pipeline. Um, Love Shack with Shaquille O'Neal and his wife Shawnee. Right, and that was your show too. Uh, my show and uh, and running Russell Simmons, American yeah. mogul, um, and maybe something else. But basically, okay. Hammer's numbers came out, which were fair, not okay. amazing, but fair. I think he came out at like seven, eight hundred thousand viewers. Right, decent night. But it was, but he. He premiered the same night of um, of the uh, Lakers uh, championship finals, and it was the last game of the finals, and it was the year that Shaq had left Kobe. Oh, so God. it was Kobe's first chance, first ring by himself where he officially be, you know. Yeah, that's rough. That's and we a still rough. And we still did like 700 Decent years. numbers, yeah. Uh, and then the next weekend was like, um, next weekend was, uh, was like some Memorial Day weekend, holiday weekend. Um, and they didn't play the show. Wow. They played um, a marathon of Dog the Bounty Hunter. Oof. And that was it? And then the next weekend they played two brand new shows. Every, for every weekend after that, they played two brand new shows back to back. Right. Um, burning, a, burning them off, basically. Yeah, so I, what, I know that trick. So, <laughs> so what should have lasted until like the second week of September was over before the end of July. But so what? So just to backtrack yeah, to answer your yeah. question, what made the Jacksons a valuable property was Michael yeah. passing away, <laughs> and they everybody looked around like, oh my god, we we own that show, right? We and then the they rights. started re-airing it. No, that we we didn't shoot the show. We went straight to series. Oh. It was only it was in pilot mode. So how long did when after he called you? How much? When did he die after that call? Well, we were doing the pilot like. Six months oh, before wow. he so passed was, away. Yeah. Oh wow! Okay, so timing, unfortunately, yeah. was perfect. Yeah, right. And did that was that a very high rated show? That that rated really well. Yeah, it rated really well. Right. So it you, wasn't. It wasn't the. It wasn't the complete access that you will would have wanted. Uh, again, very. They're all very old school. They're all very. Um, it's. It, it's hard to deal with people who have been in front of the camera before, especially mm-hmm. for their entire oh, lives since they were teenagers. Because they were them, so rehearsed. Yeah, like yeah. they it wasn't it wasn't the same as just getting a regular person and now you're a reality star. Like they went into <laughs> right. it like I'm going to be a TV right. reality. Like no, just be yourself. Yeah, like and, I want to I want to know Jermaine why you and Randy don't talk anymore. Right. Like, Tell us this. Like, have that conversation. Don't and, be like, Randy's not showing up because he's busy. Like, right. We know why Randy's Would not they showing. go there? No. Right. I mean, but, you know, you can go on Google and know that Rand, that Jermaine had kids with Randy's girlfriend, ex-wife. Oh. Like, they have, <laughs> I didn't know that. They have, they, they, yes. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's cousin brothers. That's crazy. I met Jermaine years ago with Lou Pearlman, <laughs> RIP. He was, yeah, he was strange. Yeah. You know, their house has been for sale. I live in Encino. Mm. It's at the top of that hill. I mean, I've been here almost a year. It's been on sale probably even before that, been for sale before that even. Yeah. But I'm dying to go to the open house. I just want to see what it looks like. <laughs> it's It's got a very long driveway, I will yes. say that. 
So you had a really interesting career at A&E. You know, I've always been interested um, in that model because I feel like A&E has a lot of development people and there seems like there's a lot of healthy competition amongst those development executives, but it always made it tricky and does make it tricky in terms of who you bring your project to because, you know, like I have a lot of friends there. I had a lot of friends there and it gets a little murky. So how did you navigate those waters from the inside? Uh, you know, from the outside, it does seem like it's it does seem competitive. Healthy, whatever you want to call it, is definitely competitive. But the reality is that you know people like Elaine, uh, Rob, our 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 leaders in in our pod, what they definitely helped to cultivate was a feeling of community. So it didn't matter who got what pitch from wherever that we all always collaborated with each other on the ideas that came in. For, for me, my superpowers or my strength were, uh, was uh, music and the record industry. So I tapped into that community for bringing in uh, my ideas and pitches. That was my initial, uh, my, my, my initial inroads into bringing something to, the t- something to the table that some of my colleagues didn't necessarily have easily re- and readily available. Yeah, and I think also your experience as a producer, you were able to craft things in a certain way. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, that we came in with Cedric the Entertainer. Do you remember that, Fitz? Yeah. Yeah, so it was you and Scott Lonker. And uh, the show that we were pitching, which I still love the show, was, um, I can't remember the name of it, Funny Guys or something like that. Uh, Oh, no, I think I'm funny or something with the name funny in it. But it was basically sort of the depressing side of being a comedian. Uh And it was a docu-style series where um, we would follow different comedians, almost like housewife style, but sort of showing the underbelly mm-hmm. of like in a funny world, really how many of them are like, you know, scrapping. And, and, that, sh- and that show got made like a year ago. <laughs> Wait, which one was it? Oh, it right, was, on Oxygen. And, yeah, yeah and they did the male and female version. Yeah, yeah. yeah see, I'm still, enjo- I like that. I, <laughs> I love the comedy world yeah. as you do. Uh-huh. So I remember getting the call. And so Cedric was, we brought him in as executive producer because I thought that really needed some type of celebrity attachment to kind of sex it up. So I remember getting the call from you the next day. I was so excited because, you know, when a network calls the next day, it's always good. It's like a date. You know, they don't wait. And then you said, well, we don't want that show. But does Cedric want to do a show with his family? You know, and I already knew there was no way in hell he was going to do that. But I was going to ask. Yeah, you've got to ask. So I thought, you know, he's smart. That's that's probably what I would have done. And that was a smart way to think about it. But there was just no going there. You know what? If there was, I would have pitched that show first. (laughs) (laughs) So... Um, anyway, so, so kudos to you. So then, so when you went to go, so we're sort of skipping ahead a little bit here. So in my intro, I explained what you do now and, um, that you're the head of Marlon's company or for the unscripted side of Marlon's company. (laughs) You guys went to college together, right? Yes. We went to college together, uh, at at Howard University in Washington, DC. And were you roommates? No, not until after college. (laughs) Oh really? Okay, so so walk us back. You were friends. How we were, did you meet in college? Um, we met through a mutual friend. So I started out college as a fashion design major. Really? Yeah. You are very fashionable. I could see that. <laughs> I actually could see that. And it was my so my ex wife and I. We took all of our classes together. Okay. And um, she, my ex wife, was the one that registered me in school of C in communications. Hmm. So I didn't start film school until my senior year. Did she just want you out of her realm? Like, no, <laughs> no. She just said, she was like, well, I mean, this is back like 88, okay. 87, 88. Um, and that was like when Spike Lee, Robert Towson, that was John Singleton. And that was like the- Got it. The renaissance. The renaissance yeah. of, of black filmmakers. Interesting. And she was like, at this stage, like, you know, you, when we go to the movies, you watch a film, you look for the aesthetics of the picture, you talk about the characters, you talk about- like she's like you're not a fashion designer you're a filmmaker and fashion design is really about really the merchandising of it you have an eye you understand clothes fabric you understand all that stuff Hmm. Spike had his own clothing line he wasn't a fashion designer it was just part of his merchandising she's like that's just one of the elements of of your filmmaking so were you did you did it feel right to you once you transitioned um yeah it felt it was just my first semester in film school I shot, produced, directed, and sold a documentary called Back to the Mecca. 
back to the Mecca? Yeah. And what was that? It was Howard Homecomings are are epic, world-known. Many rappers have made songs about or mentioned them in their songs. And it was documenting the Howard Homecoming experience. Went to every single event, interviewed everybody from Jesse Jackson to Kid and Play. Yeah. Great idea. Is it? Yeah. Can we see it now? Uh, it's in, I've got a, so I, my, my producing partner at the time, Jimmy Castor Jr., whose dad was in this group, well, had a group called the Jimmy Castor Bunch. Okay. Uh, that was my, he and I used to shoot and produce together. So cool. So yeah, I have like two or three years that were documented. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a great idea. And that would hold up, definitely yeah. hold up today. Mm-hmm. So did you meet Marlon through that? Uh, a, a mutual friend who was in fashion design school with me, Rita McGee, who ended up going on to, uh, she is the, or was for season one of Empire, the costume wardrobe person. Oh, well, yeah. cool. hats off to her. So she, at the time, she left and was doing, she had done Spike movies, she had doing In Living Color, and she knew Marlon from In Living Color and his family, and he was his freshman year there, and they were walking on campus, and I was, Jimmy and I were filming, and she introduced me and Jimmy. I mean, she introduced me and Marlon, right? And literally on camera when we met, and <laughs> it was captured. The moment, it's <laughs> it like a rom com. The, the moment was captured <laughs> on camera. Uh, we said we would keep in touch and we'd make movies together. And uh, like a year later, he was doing Mo Money with his brother uh, Damon, mm-hmm. and he had missed like three, three or four months of school. And when he came back, he had a bunch of um, final projects to do. And even though I wasn't in the class physically in the class with him. I think that was even one of my semesters off because I was working one semester, going to school one semester, working one semester. Like that's how I had to like pay for that last. Cause I, I had my daughter, my ex-wife and I, my ex-wife, Kim, love you, Kim. (laughs) (laughs) We had, we had, uh, we had Zoe in my senior year. And then like, Three years later, had Zach. So I always wondered how you your kids yeah. were so old. <laughs> and my, like, and my daughter was in college, so like, wow. we, were, we were passing her bassinet back and forth between classes. Oh my god, that's crazy! Yeah. So 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 Marlon came back. He had no, and that was a year. That was a semester I was out, and he was in his. <laughs> he had missed three months of school, and he needed help doing his class projects. And I helped him do his, his class project. We shot like three of wrote produced and shot and edited like three or four projects at the same time. So did you... I remember the LA riots were going on and Sean was, he was on the phone with Sean when it was going on and we're in the edit room cutting and he's like, wow, LA is crazy now. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and then did did you, like was he hilarious off camera? He's just a regular dude. I mean, yeah, he's funny. <laughs> but you know, but he's not on. Um, well, he will get on you and light you up and roast you. Right. Okay. <laughs> Just be prepared to get made fun of. I love that. I love that. Yeah. But right, he's a regular he guy. I mean, you guys good. had like a regular friendship. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like class clowning all the time. And no. Yeah. No. So you stayed in touch and you were close all those years. Yes. And I relocated to Los Angeles or tried to relocate to Los Angeles um, when he was doing Don't Be Missed the South Central and Drake Juice in the Hood. <laughs> that was his first movie when he was 19 that he okay. wrote and starred in. Nice. I don't know that one. My God. I got to see classic, it. I got to go way back. Classic stoner film. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So he. So you try, you're saying you, you tried to come out and work on that? Uh, my ex-wife and I, we packed up the car with the kids, so Kim, me, Zoe, and Zach, uh, and drove from D.C. to Los oh, Angeles, and the car broke down twice on the way here. <laughs> Stop it. No. First on the mountains of West Virginia, and the second time in Albuquerque. Oh my God! You uh, made Albuquerque your second time. You made it yes. far. And uh, so I end up actually crossing the LA lines with everything from the. We had a, a four tourist wagon and a small U-Haul trailer. So by the time I broke down to Albuquerque, I had to get a bigger U-Haul truck, take everything out the trailer there, and then put a hitch for the car. <laughs> so I, I I pulled my car across the state line. Stop it. Yeah. And so you... I sh- ended up getting to set like four days later, five <laughs> days late. Yeah. And uh, I remember getting there in the morning, going to craft services, saying hi to everybody, because it was all of our friends from school. Yeah, and right. He had a, he, Marlon's always good about that, putting on, looking out for friends and family. Yeah. And, um, by like nine thirty, when the you know above the line people show up, and I got pulled into a trailer, and 
asked how I was doing, and uh, you know, thank God the family, everybody's fine. Uh, but you know, just the reality, the reality of reality, 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 <laughs> baby, is uh, you know, Hollywood is a very tough town to make it in, and there's there's a lot of competition out here. So wish you nothing but the best of luck and love. Yeah. But uh, you know, you no longer have this position. I was uh, I was video playback. Uh, so I would be my job was to right. actually sit there by right. the camera and record the time code numbers as they went in and out. But uh, wow. and then tell them because they didn't have they weren't shooting digital. So right. it took twenty four right. to forty eight hours to know what you shot on set. Oh so they were recording God. on VHS. So that was your wow. your your immediate dailies were VHS. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, that's crazy. So then, how long? So you didn't stay. You only stayed for that film, and then you went back. No, no, I stay. No, so I didn't work on the film. <laughs> I I okay. came out here. The film brought me here, but I got fired within like nice four hours. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very short Hollywood so, career. So Steve. I, was, I think I was on set. I. He brought me on set to be an extra in something in a few times, but then I just like ended up getting a regular job at Technicolor, oh, okay. uh, in the uh, in the equipment room out there. And then on my days off, I would come to uh, Wayne's Brothers because after he finished the movie, he started doing Wayne's Brothers TV show. I would come to the Wayne's Brothers, and I made myself an intern, and I would like make copies of scripts and work on the set on my nice. days off. Yeah. So did so you just. Did you ever sit down and say, one day we're going to have a company together or we're going to work together? No. Uh, so then I, I eventually, so my roommate at the time was this guy, Sea uh, Knowledge, from this group called Diggable Planets. I, I remember that. That was my roommate at the time cool. here. In so um, Knowledge did a video with this guy, Paul Boyd, and my other roommate, um, Ugo, he was a rapper from DC, and we all had like this. We had we were right on Yucca, right in Hol- off Holland Boulevard. We had this. We had like four apartments in on the same floor across from each other. We called it Camp Hollywood. We yeah, all from fun. Like, migrated from DC. We we're here, and uh, Paul Boyd had directed a Digable Planets video, and he came home from the studio. They all came home from the studio, and I had just come in from. I was working out in Oxnard at, at uh, Technicolor, oh boy. and. The house is full of people. It's all smoked up like Snoop Dogg. Right. <laughs> like, I just want to rest. I've been working all day. You guys don't oh work. You're God. rappers. <laughs> and uh, and they were playing the song over and over again. And they're like, we should do a video. And Paul Boyd's like, you should do a video. Definitely. When you do a video, call me. I'll come help. And like we all chipped in and, and it spent like, it was the vi- name of the video was uh, Straight From The Heart. And we had cameos from... Everybody from Bobby Brown, everybody like so we had them like singing the hook in there. Oh my god, Um, so fun! And we shot over like maybe a three week period of time, and on the last day it was like a like a club scene, and Paul came out and he was like my head gaffer, and this dude directed In Excess, Tina Turner. Yeah, Um, he was (laughs) at the time he had a. At MTV award either award or nomination for the Desiree video. Got to be strong. Oh my god, I love that song. and then he got me over propaganda. I was his director's assistant. But whenever he would do a video, I was his first AD. Oh, cool. So, so that's you learned at the helm. That's amazing. And at propaganda at the time, um, I mean, it was Spike Jones, Michael Bay, wow. Antoine Fuqua. Wow. Um, yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Did you know that they were sort of destined for greatness? I mean, you just named. Like, I mean, Michael had that Porsche with the <laughs> said Bay One on it. Oh, he's so obnoxious. <laughs> So obnoxious. <laughs> but Anton Fuqua, I mean, yeah. did you see Magnificent Seven this weekend? No, I didn't see it. I heard it it's amazing. Is it? Yeah, I heard it even got sure. great reviews. It looks, and looks good. People said it was magnificent. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, all right, we're flash forwarding now. So um, you moved back out to L.A. How many years ago now? Four, May makes four years. Okay. May, I left a on May 11th and started here on May 13th. Oh, wow. On the set of Mary Mary. So I left, left, left the office on Friday. And then on Monday, I was on the set, supervising producer for Mary Mary. I like went straight back to the field. I'm like, right, you missed it. No, I I just had to like get back into it. Yeah, yeah. I'm like okay, yeah. I'm done with this. I'm not a network exec anymore. Yeah, I am back on the side. Did it feel like you were back in your own skin? Like, did not that A and E didn't feel organic, but I guess I see you more as a producer. Did you see yourself? Like, did it feel more like ah, this is right? It felt good. It felt. It felt reinvigorating. It felt, um, it felt like I was being born again. I was Aww. like, oh, this is, I mean, my, like, you know, I went to film school to direct and produce. Yeah. And being an exec, not that you don't direct and produce, but it's a whole different 
Right. It's a whole different set of muscles you exercise. Yeah, you don't get to be in the trenches as yeah. much. I mean, you just don't. So, okay, cool. So then, all right, we're getting there. So then that Mary Mary was not a Marlin thing, though. That was something No, that was, um, that was E1 with Tara oh, right. Long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so after that, then what happened? Um, after Mary Mary, it just pretty much started, like, literally after, like, three, three and a half months of working there. Then Marlon and I just, I mean, I moved out here for that. That was just like. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So I moved out here to set up our company because for years when I was doing music videos and eventually transitioned to from music videos and electronic press kits and docs to doing reality TV over the years, at first Marlon and his brothers would be like, why are you doing that reality stuff? It's the death of television. <laughs> I mean, this is like when the writer strike was going right. on. Like everybody hated us. Like right. We were like the, right. the we devil. Were, we were like the scabs crossing the picket line. Totally, <laughs> yeah. Like, because we didn't care. Yeah, we were like, it's yeah. work. Right. Hey, you're not Ab- giving me work. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. And it went from why are you doing that, it's terrible, to us having conversations about shows to, hey, we have a show idea. And over the years, um, I had produced sizzle tapes with Marlon and his brothers. And Marlon said, my brothers and I are thinking of opening our own reality division, and you should come work for us. And I was like, that's cool, but I have a job. I will work with you. Right, right. But I'm not right, I'm not leaving my job to see what happens. Well, I'll come work with you and we yeah. can set up our company, but I'm not going to just come have a job. Anymore. Right. So that's how it all was born. And that was the... So it's you, Marlon, and... And Rick Alvarez. Right. Yeah, the trifecta, the three of us. So did Rick, was he also an old friend of Marlon's? Yeah, so Marlon and I have been friends for 25, 26 years, and Rick has been producing with the Waynes Brothers, and now just Marlon, but he's been with them for... 19, 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So your Back first- from like White Chicks, Scary Movie oh, Days. God. Yeah. God, those are good movies. Uh-huh. So your first sort of hit show out of the gate was I Can Do That for NBC. First hit, first show out the- <laughs> I'm making it a hit, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> it was a hit. It was actually, I Can Do That was the highest ranked, highest rated um, summer release on any network in four years. Seriously? Yeah. That is something. Holy yeah. Holy Wasn't smokes. Bad. So, but was before that, that was was uh, Funniest Wins. That oh, was I thought our, Funniest Wins was after. Okay. Yeah, that was our first show as a as a company's workaholics that we got up and running. Nice. So that was for TBS. Mm-hmm. And was that your concept? Yes. It, no, no. It wasn't my concept. It was Marlon's concept okay. that I helped. Got it. Shape and develop. Shape, develop, and fine tune. When I was still at A&E, he said, I want to do a comedy competition show. And I, you know, as the network exec and you, you just... You're like, them. last comic standing already <laughs> exactly, exists, yeah. Marlon. A hundred reasons why you can't do this show. And he's yeah. like, but that's your job. Tell me how I do this show. I love it. <laughs> and I literally, we went to, we went between Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And we just got every, I was like, well, the first thing you got to do is you got to deconstruct what is a competition show. So let's look at all the top competition shows from from um, Top Chef to Project Room. Let's look at, you have to watch them all. Yeah. And what are the elements in there that are unified? Let's write all those down. And then let's, how do we build upon this to make the show? Like take what works and then try to reinvent the stuff that's old hat. Exactly. Interesting. So the concept, so how was it? So I was still at A&E when I was helping him do this. And then I introduced him to, um, uh, David Eidelberg and Ken Mock. I love David. And Eidelberg was at, uh, was at, no, no, he was at, at Burnett at the time. Oh, got it. Okay. He was at Burnett. Oh, that's interesting. And we just couldn't, cle- Marlon couldn't close it, like the, the deal with Burnett. Yeah. And it ended up going to three ball. Oh, that's so funny. And, uh, and then Eidelberg ended up at TBS. And it, we did, CW did a pilot. Oh. And then um, it sat for like a year before they finally passed. <laughs> And Don't then when they passed on it, Eidelberg was leaving and I had just left, was like leaving A&E and he's like, well, you know, the first thing I want to do is I want that show that we couldn't close on. And that goes back to our original point. <laughs> Don't yes. piss anyone yes. off. And he is, love Dave Eidelberg. Uh-huh. He's a great guy and, and obviously uh-huh. a producer by trade. So he really gets it. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. So how many, was that one season? That was one season. And was it? Did you get to work on that when you? So when you came out, that was the first thing you worked on. Yes. Okay. With Brant. 
Oh, there you go. Uh-huh. It all comes full yeah. circle. And that was, um, you were, or did you go straight to series since you already had the pilot? Um, no, I think TNT made us do like a, a next level. So CW had done a pilot. Right. Was it? Was it was like a presentation tape, but they Got spent. It. They spent. Not presentation money. <laughs> no, it was about a hundred grand. Okay, that's, yeah, that's in between presentation yeah. and pilot money. Exactly, and yeah. then we got like another hundred from from TBS. That was like a, a a trigger stage. Like do this, and then you'll just continue on with your. Like they made a quick decision within like two or three weeks of watching the tape, so we were able to kind of keep the staff in place. Yeah. So you guys, so with that, and I can do that, and and in terms of what you have on your slate right now, are you? Is the is the sort of platform big shiny floor competition stuff, you know, formats, or are you looking like what's what's your wheelhouse that you kind of are known for? Um The wheelhouse we're known for is comedy. Yeah, right. That's the common <laughs> so, thread, right? So trying to use that or try not trying, but using that as the common as the yeah. common common thread yeah. or commonality of unification of a food show or a docu soap or a competition show anything but what's the what's the undertones of of comedy that you could extract from there you know although comedy is your sweet spot and like you said you are looking for everything what's the filter that you use um, when people come to pitch you or you get pitches ready to take out in terms of the types of projects that you're going to sink your teeth into well i th- i think that this holds true for both scripted and unscripted but especially more with unscripted because you can't write these characters. Uh, we use the filter of big characters, high stakes, unique access, and as much as possible, uh, close-ended resolution. So when I say big characters, if you were to be in the elevator with five people, is there any one person that stands out? Um, high stakes. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, the highest stakes being death, but are there stakes? <laughs> True. <laughs> are there are there stakes and obstacles that our hero has to overcome every single episode? Uh, and unique access. I mean, that's one reason why um, why uh, docu soaps that get actually greenlit with housewives with celebrities uh, are very popular because the public is getting to see these characters uniquely in a way that. You don't pass what you get on People magazine or the covers, you know, of of the tabloids. Amen. And thank God for those shows. <laughs> Provide me with much entertainment. Is it frustrating as the head of development that every network's gonna want him on camera and he can't be on camera, obviously, in every show, right? Um no, it's not frustrating. It's just the reality of what we of what we work around. Yeah. So I mean, you could only grow your company, but so big if that if the you know partner slash talent has to be on camera every time. And luckily, he does have a thriving film and TV career. Right. You know, the Netflix movie's about to do the sitcom on uh, NBC is mm-hmm. about to do. So you have a you have a legitimate. Um, I don't want to say excuse, but you have a legitimate reason why he's not available to do this, or why it's not. Um, why it's not the level of right? I get it. Right. I mean, you can't clone him. He's, yes, he's one person. Yeah. So, is there? Do you also feel on the flip side that it's gets you indoors that you wouldn't get into otherwise? Like you, the access is just more attainable because it is Marlon Wayans. Um. I guess to some degree. I mean, we don't abuse it. Right, right. <laughs> but it's people I mean, want him in maybe, a room, right? I mean, that's the reality. Uh, yeah, and he shows up to meetings. He comes, he's, he's very, he's, Marlon is, we have to keep him, we have to hold him back. Like he is, he is very hands-on. He wants to, he's involved in everything. So, Hence yes. the workaholic title. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the workaholic title. You're all you're all workaholics. But anybody anybody that's ever worked with us or interacted with us knows that Marlon is very visible. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And how is it now working so closely together after you've been friends? Is it is it hard to keep those two things separate or does it just feel natural? 
it's actually well when I first moved to Los Angeles four years ago, we were roommates and working colleagues. So that was a lot. Yeah. Um you know, from the gym in the morning to it was oh, wow. just like Yeah, like I mean the house. Space. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure yes. it was not an eight hundred yeah. square foot house though. <laughs> <laughs> so you were in the guest wing. <laughs> it was something like that. We had the top floor. Yeah. There you go. All right. So now it's more you have boundaries. Yes. Now there's now there's boundaries. Now nice. now now but now I'm a eight minute drive from the house. But there you go. You know, when when I left A and E four and a half years ago now, um, you know, you walk away from a salary. You walk away from the the comfort and cushiness that you have of of your four hundred one k and your weekly salary um, and your bonuses, and you head into you you it's if if you wanna if you wanna launch big ships, you have to go where the water's deep, and to pull up your anchor and go to those deeper waters. You have to. You have to trust yourself. Did you just point. come up with that? That's so good. <laughs> I, I'm putting that on my on my vision board. And and in trusting <laughs> yourself and betting on yourself, yeah, you've got to pay yourself. So you know, I dug into my my savings, um, and so did Marlon, and that was one of the, one of the huge reasons why we were roommates for the first two years, two and a half years that I was here was so to cut down the overhead of. As much as possible, uh, our office space was Soho House. Like we nice. just not did. a bad office space, I have <laughs> we, to say. We did what we had to do to take our meetings and yeah. uh, and write every day and pitch to each other and just develop and produce sizzle tapes out of pocket. Like that's what it was, and that's what it it pretty much. Even though we have our overhead deal at NBC, we still keep that same hustle mentality. Right, you're scrappy. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to do our our uh, the common questions that I ask. Oh, Since you okay. listen to the podcast, you know you're we're well prepared. We're already at the end of the hour. Go that quickly. We, well, we're getting we're creeping up. We're okay. creeping up. By the time we're done with these, we'll we'll just be at our <laughs> mark. Okay, so your first is what's your proudest accomplishment? Mm. You know, as a parent, you always want to say your kids, but um, yeah. And then you know, it was it was maybe possibly breaking barriers. At uh, at A and E, yeah, but I, I think it really all and not to sound remedial here, but I think um, probably attending Howard University. A lot of my business and life contacts from meeting my ex wife to Marlon and Diddy and Anthony Anderson, like a, a lot of uh, there was so many people that went there that my on camera and off camera that are just so influential in the business that that has been, yeah, see knowledge to go went to Howard. Like I, like I just crazy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was very, uh, that was a, that was a pivotal move in my, you had set your path. life course. Yeah, really. pretty much. I mean, and thank for my dad who went there for undergrad and med school. That was like, Oh, I'm going to Howard too. My dad went there. Right. Just a given. Yeah. Amazing. And my older brother went there too. Oh, yeah. so you're like a family, family prodigy. there. <laughs> nice. And, but your kids didn't, neither of your kids Well, I mean, you have, to be, you have to graduate to be a prodigy. Right, that's a good point. <laughs> good point. So your one daughter went to Penn, and where'd your son, did your son go to Howard? No, he uh, he's finding his way. Yeah, we he, have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> he's a great kid. Yeah, they're, but, they're uh, kids. You know, college, college isn't, isn't for everyone. <laughs> it's true. I look at it really differently yeah. today than I did 20 years ago. Yeah. I really could care less if you're gone. I really don't care. You know, yeah. it's like for what we do. It's not you like just, you just need yeah. to you, you need you know what, but at college it's when you go when you come to the understanding of I'm going to go to class the professor's going to tell me to read these twenty pages I'm going to go home read these twenty pages and then come back and discuss it but you just go to you can go to Amazon and buy books and read them I mean I how many people actually read when they after they finish school when no one's giving them an assignment I tried it personally I try to read at least one one book a month. Nice. I mean, I just finished uh, War Dogs. I'm in the middle of Elon Musk's book right now. Oh, great. Um, War Dogs is the one that they based the movie uh-huh. on, right? Yeah, yeah, but I haven't seen the movie yet. I, yeah. just, I read the book first. Yeah, that's always hard when you read and then you see the movie. I enjoy that. I mean, yeah. as a filmmaker, you want to see, it's you know, what but, do you extract? Yeah. And, and, but you have to give it, my suggestion is give it time because I saw Gone Girl. I really, I hadn't read the book, so I quickly, when I knew it was coming out, I read the book, which I loved, uh-huh. and I saw it like a day later. Okay. And it was so close that, it was and it was written by the writer, uh-huh. so it was actually really good. I thought the movie was really good too, but it was just my head was exploding because okay. I just couldn't separate out like so what it's was been. What? It's been at least 
three weeks since I've read yeah. the book. Since maybe a couple dogs. months. Maybe okay. wait, maybe wait yeah. for it to come I'll on wait, demand. Wait. <laughs> you know, I watch a lot of movies on the plane. Yeah, the plane's the best. The best. I can watch like three movies on my trip I know. Trip it opens up whole worlds. I went to Greece. I watched eight movies nice. each way. What was your? What was the best one you saw? Oh, my God. I wrote the whole list out. You did. Uh, <laughs> seriously, I, I wrote it. a list out. I love it. Um... The Don Cheadle movie was really good. Yeah, I uh, want to see that. Uh, this movie called, I think, was it called Splash or something like that? I can't That it, was the Daryl Hannah Mermaid movie. No, it, was, it wasn't <laughs> Splash. It was, oh, I wrote the name of it down. Do you like it documentaries? Was, I do, but it's hard. Like the Nina Simone documentary yeah. was like the last one that I really liked. Yeah. I, and I, I made this doc that I fell in love with. It makes it hard for me to like judge them now. Right, right, uh, right. They sweet Mickey for president with Praz. Oh, that you made that? Yeah, I actually oh, okay. produced that. Oh, wow! So with, you made uh, a few. Oh, wow! No, that was that was my first. So <laughs> Sweet Mickey was first theatrical release cool. doc that I produced. I executive produced, and I did it with Marlon and Rick. Is that on Netflix? Uh, I'm not sure if it's on Netflix yet, but it it just got released on Showtime like three months ago. Oh, it's brand new. Yeah, what's it about? It's about uh, Michelle Martelli who uh, used to be a, he was a pop star in Haiti, but his music was like, his music was like uh, Bob Dylan, so talked of revolution and right. what was going on, but his performance was very out there, like uh, like George Clinton. So he performed on stage wearing diapers and <laughs> half naked uh, and grinding around, but talking about how Papa Doc was a thief and a criminal and yeah. Interesting. And he eventually goes on to, so Praz from the Fugees, who uh, that was another doc I was working on. But so Praz from the Fugees was friends with Mickey and he convinces Mickey to run for president. And it's the documentation of that entire process of wow. of pop culture and politics and Mickey's run for the presidency. Fascinating. But did you, was it retroactive? Like when did that happen in real time? Um. So we followed it in real time. It happened. Wow, you did. Okay. Mickey, Mickey, I think his candidacy just ended like, you know, this January. But we, it was his, it was from four years ago, three years ago. So you spent a lot of time in Haiti. I never went. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've never been. <laughs> no, so Praz start when, so when Praz was doing it, when Praz was doing it, I knew about Praz backing Mickey when Wyclef was running. Right. And I'm like, Praz, you're crazy. <laughs> you know, he's like, you, you got to help me with this like this process. And Because he was like, do Praz and Wyclef hate each other or something? It's all part of the movie. Oh, interesting. <laughs> wow. Fuji's are crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's all part interesting. of the movie. All right. So any regrets? Uh, kissing Madonna? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> like a makeout session? Yeah, you know, that's until you find out how many people she actually made out with. Right, like it's not a big oh accomplishment. God. Was it at a club <laughs> in New York? It had yeah, to be. Yeah, back yeah. when uh, my friend was friends with Keith Haring. Wow, this is and like back in the old, club days. Yeah, studio, my old Studio Fifty Four days. Oh my God! Uh, so she was a bad kisser. I mean, I was like seventeen then. I was happy. Was she like a rough kisser? I could see her being very like aggressive. Like, a, like a, it was very aggressive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when you were um, when you were on the network side, what was the craziest show that was ever brought to you as an executive? Oh man, I hate even mentioning this one. Uh oh. Um, the nameless yeah. can remain name. We don't need to say who it was from. Yeah, there, yeah, there were a lot. You get, you get a lot of pitches as a, right. as an exec. You get. How many pitches a day? Right. 30 a month. And was there one that stood out as just like insane? Yeah, this one, this this producer pitched me a concept of taking a, a Latino American and bringing them, taking all their identification and putting them in Mexico and telling them that they have to make it back across the border. That's like, that's crazy, but. Very timely today. <laughs> I bet you that he show just, would sell he was today. Just ahead of his time. Yeah, really. Oh my God, Trump can executive produce it. Oh God, uh, don't even get me started on that. Again, the power of reality TV. Yeah, no kidding. Well, don't. Yeah, we can't go down that road. I'm, t- I'm too today with the debates tonight. I just I'm too vulnerable. Um, so on this side, did you have you ever taken out a show that's just been totally out there? Um. Yeah, we had this show with Burnett, this zombie apocalypse show. That, 
you know, Marlon and Rick and I, we still, we, we love, we just, we stopped talking about it. This is probably the first time I've admit it's past my lips in, in a year and a half. But we love the show. We love the concept. And it just was, people would look at us like we had two heads. Is it the voice for zombies? <laughs> is that no, how you took it to it was, uh, it was like Survivor for zombies. Okay. That sounds like a sci-fi show. Yeah, but everybody's kept going, but zombies don't exist. Oh, please. Walking Dead, tell that to the 15 million people that watch (laughs) Walking Dead. Um, Okay, so finally, what are your, if you had to name three top reality shows that you like watching, what are the ones that you enjoy? Ooh. Um, I really like, my my shows are going to be weird. It's all right. Um, We accept all answers. I really like the, The Prophet. Yeah, that's not an unscripted show, though, right? The Prophet? The pro- oh, the Prop. I'm thinking P R O P H E T, which is the Seth Rogen uh. show on FS. <laughs> oh, the Prophet on MSNBC, yeah. CNBC, with yes. Marca, Marcus. What's Sam Blitz. No, no, that's the yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a great show. Yeah, I love the Prophet. Yeah. Um, Do you like Shark Tank? I love Shark Tank. I, you know, Shark Tank to me is like. Is I love Shark Tank and I love Ninja Warrior for the same reasons <laughs> yeah. of the disposable entertainment that you get. Like it's just rapid machine gun, boom! You get a story, you get a story. It, like it's just yeah. you get the entertainment and it just keeps going. It's not like you don't have to you, wait for it. Exactly in that yeah. in that half hour, one hour arc. Yeah, you've satisfying. Yes, I agree. Lots, lots of content. Um, and I also really like Married at First Sight. What a great concept, right? Uh, it's 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 they reinvented a dating show. They they actually added <laughs> yeah. stakes to what is dating. Uh, yeah, that show blows me away. Yeah, because it's totally real, mm-hmm. and you're watching. I mean, I can't even imagine that position. You know, doing that. I mean, like, who goes on that? They're insane. <laughs> I mean, kind of. I mean, I I respect them for it. I mean. Nothing else works. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Give it a try. Let TV, let exactly. TV try. Let TV try. Look at The Bachelor. Uh-huh. Um, was that three? We could, did we do, was that, was that? Uh, three and I snuck in a couple with yeah. the, you know, Ninja Warrior. Right. There you go. Nice. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking. It's been amazing. You have some great stories and I'm, I'm happy to talk to you. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs>